everyone. Happy Monday. God bless you all and welcome once again to the verse of the day. My name is Maxine. We are back after a small break. We're very thankful and grateful for your support. Continue to like, subscribe and share this wonderful platform that God has gracefully allowed to manifest and grow through his grace. We're definitely grateful and humbled by the feedback and the positivity that you have graced us with through Christ Jesus and we thank you. We ask that you like, subscribe and share to your loved ones, your friends, people at your workplace and those who are around you that you know and you can sense in your spirit that need to have an encounter with Christ. We're keen on spreading the word of God making sure that as many people are able to encounter Jesus through the gospel. They can encounter God through the gospel. They can manifest salvation in their lives and start their journey of transformation and empowerment through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Christ. So thank you once again. The verse of today comes from the lovely book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and I'll be reading verse 5 and verse 6 from the Amplified Classic Version. Before I start, I'd just like to welcome the Holy Spirit and just say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome into this platform. You're welcome into this place. Ruach Elohim, fill this place, fill this platform, fill this word. We know that the word can only manifest with your presence. The word can only manifest with the presence of you, the word and the bridegroom. And so we are here, Holy Spirit. Our hearts are here. Our bodies are here, our temples are open, and we are available and ready, broken and contrite to receive you. As you take this word that we speak forth and manifest it the same way the word dwelt amongst us when he became flesh, we ask that this scripture becomes alive in our hearts, in our bodies and in our spirits, in everything that we do when we interact with others and when we also just live our lives and let it be an example for others to see. I thank you. I thank you for your guidance. I thank you for the knowledge of God, the wisdom and the spiritual understanding that you grace us with when we encounter you each day. Heavenly Father, my awesome God, my mighty God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, I worship you. I thank you, O God. I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for the gift of health and well-being. I thank you for the gift of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Lord God, you are kind. You are good. You are mercy. Your mercy endures forever. Your riches are everlasting. Your presence is everlasting. You're omnipotent, omnificient. You're glorious. You're great. The Lord of Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, the God of Moses, Rakabosha, Sente Kelerebotaya, the God who silenced the lions when Daniel was in the den, the God of Solomon who appeared personally to see him when he made his sacrifice of praise, the God of David who gave him the strength and the presence of you himself, O God, to just slain down Goliath, the God that brought down Jericho with praise and worship, hallelujah. 
God, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. You are an awesome God. Lord God, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for our lives. There are many people who have not managed to wake up today. There are people who are grieving. There are people who are sick in hospitals. There are people whose lives are about to come to an end. There are people who are in agony and chaos and destruction in their lives, oh God. But you have kept us. You have been that strong tower. You have been that shield. You have moved mountains. You have silenced lions. You have put down and cast out demons. You have shown the enemy that you're always victorious. You have done it all for us. Oh, Father God, we thank you. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who is faithful and true, Lamb of God, we truly worship you. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the blueprint that you have given us to know God our Father, to know what it takes to be aligned to God. We thank you for your ultimate sacrifice, the love you have shown us. You have cleansed us with your blood. You have sacrificed yourself and given us your life. People may not understand what that means, but God, thank you. Thank you that even as you left, you're still upstairs, still up in heaven, in the right hand of God, our Father, interceding for us. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that your blood speaks for our lives. Your blood speaks for our hands of work. Your blood speaks for our families. Your blood speaks in our spiritual life. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. I ask all this trusting and believing in Jesus Christ that you will just take this word forth and just manifest it in our lives. Make it grow. Make it nature into our spirits and come alive in everything that we do. I thank you, Jesus. I worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. So the book of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, and we will be reading um, verse 5 and 6. And I'll be using the Amplified Classic Version. These are the words from Paul. Um, And he's talking about our nature as human beings. And he says, Not that we are fit, in brackets, qualified and sufficient in ability, of ourselves to form personal judgments or to claim or count anything as coming from us, but our power and ability and sufficiency are from God. It is he, in brackets, who has qualified us, in brackets, making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant, in brackets, of salvation through Christ, not ministers of the letter, in brackets, of legally written code, but of the spirit for the code, in brackets, of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. And this is a similar scripture that you find in Jeremiah 31 verse 31. This is very humbling because Paul is telling us that we are not qualified or fit or worthy to call ourselves sufficient. As human beings, we're limited, we're unable. There's a scripture that he says, I believe in efficiency, where he tells us that if we think we know, no, actually it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2, and he says, if any man thinks that they know anything, he does not know anything as he ought to know. And that's humbling for us because it tells us that we are limited as human beings, that we have a nature, a natural state of weakness. But unfortunately, in that natural state of weakness, we tend to cover it with pride and ego and sometimes self-inflicted iniquity. 
in order for us to feel good about ourselves. Paul was once Saul of Tarsus, who was an arrogant, evil person who was killing Christians, but the Lord God encountered him personally, shone light into his mind, body, and spirit, and Saul of Tarsus became Apostle Paul, who would write a third of the New Testament. Let this be a moment of revelation for someone. If you have anyone in your life that you care for, that you know of, that you know is struggling and people have lost hope in them, people feel like they're a lost cause or they cannot change, God is telling you anything and everything is possible through him. He converted Saul. He transformed Saul into Paul. He made Paul into a different man, a servant of God who wrote a third of the New Testament. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit reveal deep mysteries in the kingdom that revealed Christ unto him. And he's been able to, to share all that with us to send word to people telling us who God is, how great his love is, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So that is possible. And while he was writing this letter to the people in Corinth, he was telling them that we should humble ourselves because we are unable. But the God that we serve makes us able. The God that we serve makes us sufficient. The God that we serve makes us strong and gives us that power and ability to conquer. And he does this because one, we have a covenant through the death of Jesus Christ. His blood has sealed that covenant. And then after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We have the life of God, the Holy Spirit. And you know, Sometimes we just make it a usual statement and we say, you know, the Holy Spirit is with us anyway. But do we know what it means to have the Holy Spirit? What we're being told in this scripture is the Holy Spirit is the source of our strength. The Holy Spirit is the source of our power, our ability. The Holy Spirit is that person who is able to take you to one plus one plus God equals what God wills and greater, mightier things than two. We are able to make one plus one two, but one plus one plus God through the power of the Holy Spirit gives us greatness, blessings, ordinations, unctions, exemptions, honor, beauty from God, love from God, mercy from God, the presence of God in our lives. And that means there has to be a state in which the Holy Spirit manifests in us. We know that we're meant to make our bodies a temple for the Holy Spirit, for Christ to come and dwell in. And even in the scripture, God tells us that give me, you should be living sacrifices for me. Because God wants to come and dwell in us. We see in the book of Exodus from chapter 36 all the way to 39, God gave specific dimensions of the ark that would host the tabernacle, that would host his presence for him to come in and manifest. And so also in the New Testament, Paul gives us specific instructions of how we should make our bodies the Lord's temple. For the Holy Spirit to manifest, meaning there has to be a willingness and availability of our spirits and our mind and our body to make that happen. But the question I had after reading the scripture, is that all it takes in order to receive the Holy Spirit? 
you know, we listen to sermons and people tell us, you know, you want to receive the Holy Spirit, just open your heart and he'll come in. But I realize that there's actually more that is required. And so I wanted to ask what would be the best scripture or the best living example or historical example in the word that would actually emulate the exact state of mind and spirit that would actually have the Holy Spirit come in. And it brought me to Jesus. And it brought me to the moment that he was baptized. Now we know in the book of Hebrews, I think in chapter 3, tells us how Jesus is the express image of God, the logos of God. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and everything was made through him and through him and without him there was nothing that was made. He is the light that shines out of darkness. We know that Jesus was there in the beginning. In Genesis it says let us make man in our image and on our likeness. Nebuchadnezzar the king said I saw the son of God with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. So clearly, we know that Jesus is God. But Jesus came in the form of flesh to dwell amongst us. John 1, 14. And he was born from the Virgin Mary, immaculate conception through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he actually lived under a closed heaven. And in that closed heaven, he was at risk of attacks, harm, and chaos, just like any other human being. And the reason why this is so significant is we can see that in the synopsis of Christ's birth and his development, the Holy Spirit would have the angels go to Joseph and tell them, take Mary to a different place to give birth to Christ. Because Herod wanted to kill Jesus through the influence of Satan. And then when Herod dies, they were told to come back to Nazareth. And so we see the life of Christ in a very brief synoptic account of his small, you know, small time of childhood. There was nothing much that happened in his childhood. Jesus was the son of Joseph, the carpenter. We see the account of him talking about uh, and interpreting the law of Moses very confidently while he was in the temple that impressed people. But that was simply it. There was nothing much. And then comes the moment where he's in his 30s and he's going to River Jordan to get baptized. And in Matthew chapter 3 verse 14 and 15, It talks about John the Baptist being very upset and being very um, uneasy because he knew who Jesus was. This was the son of God. He was the all-powerful, all-knowing, the Lord of Jeshurun, the God of David, Isaac, Abraham. This is the God of covenants. He parted the Red Seas. He moved mountains. He defeated armies. He rose Moses' arm to fight and, and he made the sun stand still this is the god that was present on earth and yet he was humble as a son of god because in verse 15 jesus says suffer it to be so and if you read matthew 3 verse 15 in the amplified classic version Jesus is telling John the Baptist, who was so humbled to be in the presence of God, who, and he didn't think that he had the worthiness to baptize him. He said, permit it to happen, for we must fulfill 
what God has willed and make it completely right. And he said we must do it for both of us. He was talking about fulfilling the will of God for himself and fulfilling the will of God for John. So John had a job to do. God had tasked him to baptize Christ. And even if he was a senior king of kings, lord of lords, the lamb of God, he still had to baptize him. Jesus demonstrates to us full humility and weakness. As a king, he showed us his weakness because he was walking under closed heavens. He didn't have the Holy Spirit with him because it is after baptizing is when the Holy Spirit came upon Christ. So before that he didn't have the Holy Spirit. So this is somebody who knew he was the son of God and he was in the flesh as a human being unable weakened broken and contrite. Yet he knew he was the king of kings, the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he was humbled and weak. And in that weakness when he was baptized the holy spirit came down rested on his head the heavens opened and then god spoke and so that means for the holy spirit to manifest in your life for god to open up the heavens and speak you have to be broken you have to be weak so my question for you is are you weak in christ because there has to be a gap in your life there has to be a huge deficit a huge gaping hole of which Jesus can come in and rest inside you and be your source of strength and it now makes sense why the angel that was the presence of the lord had to touch Jacob's hip in order for that deficit that gap that weakness to always be there so that God could be present in his life And so when you are weak, when you are broken, when you're open to tell everyone and be honest with yourself saying that I am nothing without God, I am incapable without God, I am insufficient without God, the Holy Spirit looks for you. The Holy Spirit draws to you. The presence of God comes to you. And this is a powerful lesson. We have to learn how to be weak. We always told be bold, be courageous, be strong. Very true. But all that comes from God. And in order to manifest all that, like in Isaiah 40, I think from 28 to 31, we have to allow God to come in so he can give us that strength that men who are old are weary i can no longer be weary and young men can no longer faint but will soar up and fly like eagles that source comes from god weaken yourselves weaken your pride weaken your ego it means you have to come to a moment in life where you're open and honest to expose your iniquities things that make you proud and arrogant and face your lord god your savior and say here they are take them purge me search my heart try my thoughts whatever you find prune pick it out and cleanse me not just with hyssop but with the blood of christ 
I'd like to end this devotional by just looking at Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 because if you look at it in the message version it's very very fulfilling it says in verse 5 of chapter 2 all the way down to 8 he says think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself and he's in the King James version it says have a mindset like Christ it goes on to say in the message version that Jesus had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what and this is actually true God never Jesus our God our Lord and Savior never referred to himself above the father he never referred to himself as the father when he was addressing the pharisees the 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 lawyers he'd always say my father in heaven when he was about to perform miracles he would give thanks to my god my father even in the last supper he gave thanks to the lord god our father and then broke the bread so that shows us that he thought of himself not having equal status with god and he did not cling to the advantages of who he was as the son of god god himself the word who created the heaven and earth no matter what suffer it to be so when the time came he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave became human and having became human he stayed human and it was an incredibly humbling process he didn't claim special privileges instead he lived a selfless obedient life and then died a selfless obedient death and the worst kind of death at that which was a crucifixion that is having the mindset of christ be weak be weak be weak Have a blessed day.